We open today's Star Wars podcast needing to address systemic racism in pop culture fandom. Matt, surely our listeners at this point have heard after first Obi-Wan Kenobi star Moses Ingram took to Instagram this week to show the vile, disgusting racism that she has been harassed with since the series premiered a little over a week ago. This past Tuesday, the Star Wars social media accounts were, were I think, put into great use to A, shine a light on what Moses Ingram has been going through, uh, and to give statements of solidarity and statements of, uh, of really standing with her and uniting the fandom around her and around doing the right things, supporting one another, and uh, rejecting racism. And then star and series executive producer Ewan McGregor also took to social media in support and to point out that people who harass um, the actors in these shows, that they are not Star Wars fans uh, in his mind at all. And we 100% agree with his notion, with the uh, idea that the Star Wars social media accounts have put forward and in 2022, this needs to stop. It really was such a powerful statement by Ewan McGregor and one that I would imagine there's someone in his camp who said, hey, devil's advocate, here's why not to put yourself out there for this. Again, I'm just assuming there. There's got to be somebody who's, who's, who's you know, thinking of all the different angles there. For him to to do that nonetheless, for him to do it, in what appeared to be from his phone in his car, that sort of thing for him to be taking the time to be making this personal uh, statement for him to be making sure that it was heard loud and clear. Um, I think that while on the one hand it, it softened or it took away a little bit from the, the great opening that the series had with all these views and whatnot, but kudos to him. Kudos of course to Moses Ingram for, for stepping up first uh, and kudos to that whole Star Wars team that also surely must have been in the background, even though it wasn't statements from this one and that one and the other. Um, the entire team that said, we are going to step up, we are going to combat this with with statements of positivity, with statements of condemnation for those who would, who would you know, trade such vile and racist things uh, privately, let alone in public and in the public form of social media. And... You know, Pete, I think we as a fandom, we're, we're, we're a little wounded today, but we're more unified than ever. It's well past time that this needs to be actively confronted. Uh, so Moses, uh, we love you. We stand with you. Uh, we are the rebellion. Welcome to Kenobi, a Star Wars podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for the Outer Rim. My name is Matt, and joining me is Pete. Hello there, Pete. Hello there, Matt. Hello there, listeners. Kenobi, a Star Wars podcast by Fantastic Geek for 
Obi-Wan Kenobi Part 3 comes to you now. In recent show news from last weekend, uh, Star Wars Celebration wrapped up with more looks at The Mandalorian Season 3, some footage from Ahsoka, Bad Batch news, which I know, Pete, we were, we were hoping for last weekend, uh, as well as information on Tales of the Jedi. Yes, a new animated offering that Dave Filoni teased. There was some footage screened for attendees also available online. If you want to look around, you don't have to look hard. Uh, Liam Neeson, Matt, will be back voicing a young Qui-Gon Jinn. Uh, They're going to do Count Dooku. Uh, as a young man as well, and uh, tell the story of Ahsoka being found as a Force-sensitive child and brought to train with the Jedi. No specific date, same as Bad Batch, as to when this will stream, but both are coming later this year. Not all of the Star Wars animated shows always land with me. That's okay. It's obviously oftentimes intended for a slightly younger audience uh, but i have to say the notion of a of an anthology series albeit animated uh, in tales of the jedi to give us the you know quasi secret histories of beloved characters and i i'm excited about it uh for a bunch of reasons including like hey if i don't love the count dooku episode that's okay next week is ahsoka or you know obi-wan or qui-gon or whatever it might be i think it's a really novel way to get at some of those stories if only uh liam neeson returning to star wars matt uh here we're going to talk about an episode where obi-wan might be remembering a brother if all this could somehow be told some way i don't know Uh, pete all i will say is this when you're done when we're done recording the podcast just uh you know sit quietly on the grate and just call out Master Qui-Gon, Master Qui-Gon. If you keep doing it long enough, he might show up. But Pete, what else is on our space radar? We have just uh, dropped our Ms. Marvel final preview. Uh, and we will be heading up to the Paley Center in New York on Thursday, June 9th, uh, to see uh, star Amon Vellani, as well as some of the cast and creative crew. And we will be bringing you our first uh, episode of Ms. Marvel on Friday, June 10th. Marvel Fridays here on out until we finish our June boon here, which officially kicks off this week. So you want to make sure if you're listening over there, you get your feedback to us on time. So we got Marvel Fridays uh, tomorrow. Of course, we will be talking Star Trek Strange New Worlds, episode 105, a delightful romp of an episode that, of course, for Star Trek Sundays. So, Pete, we got Marvel Fridays. We got Star Trek Sundays. What's today? But it's Star Wars Saturday. So We've been Obi-Wandering through these Star Wars. Here's what we saw. The metal deck of a transport ship is a meditation space for Obi-Wan Kenobi as he again attempts to commune with his slain master, Qui-Gon Jinn. As he hears third sister Reva reveal Anakin Skywalker is alive again, 
Mechanical devices tend to Darth Vader removing hoses. Obi-Wan hears a warning from Yoda about the pain he would find checking the security holograms in the Jedi Temple. Qui-Gon makes him promise to train Anakin as well as Anakin's words before their fateful duel. As Obi-Wan asks Qui-Gon for strength, Vader is reassembled and the helmet is lowered. He's coming. For as much mystery as there must have been in 1977 with the character of Darth Vader, what's under there? Is he man? Is he machine? Is he alien? Um, and the little glimpses in Empire Strikes Back and so forth. Uh, in a weird way, this is almost more terrifying as you see the mottled skin, the the ports into which you know plugs and electronics and whatnot can be can be um, you know placed. Uh, the metallic robotic arms and legs being attached and all of that. It's kind of, it, as I said, it's almost weirdly more terrifying than the mystery of who is this, you know, albeit there has not been much of a mystery for basically the last 40 years. Uh, I like that as we're kind of getting shot, reverse shot almost, Obi-Wan is almost looking in the camera. He's ever so off center. Uh, and Vader for all intents and purposes, once the helmet comes on, is looking into the camera. So there's like that, are they looking at us? I mean, not literally. Are they looking at each other? Not literally. They're also not quite looking at it. It's just this great dissonance there. Um, and then, of course, we get that excellent reveal of Vader walking, and it's just, you know, just such, such power. As he leaves his medical chamber, the lava river outside his castle on Mustafar bubbles over. From his throne, he asks a hologram of Reva where Obi-Wan is. And Matt, there it is, James Earl Jones, 91 years old. And let's let's be upfront. This is a mix of both him and the voice synthesizer. And I mean, maybe you can explain a little bit more to our listeners what's kind of happening here. Sure, sure. So technology that, as far as I know, um, Lucasfilm had pioneered, maybe others were doing it elsewhere, but Lucasfilm and ILM pioneered technology with uh, the last outings of Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett to uh, do voice synthesis for, let's say, the character of Luke Skywalker. Yes, it was with the input of Mark Hamill. It was also with a version of the the deep fake process just with audio i.e going back and pulling files and interviews and so on and so forth to say what does luke skywalker sound like circa 1989 because mark hamill wasn't playing him in 1989 and let's build that character up obviously with the involvement of mark hamill i would assume with financial recompense as well um pete no one wants to ever say goodbye to james earl jones Period. And it'll be a sad, sad day when he leaves us. Listen, he's just going to become a force ghost like all those before him. So don't even say don't don't even jinx it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I know this. He, as as I'm sure many people know, he recorded lines for Rogue One. And one can hear that he's at that point in his 80s uh, versus uh, 40 years prior playing the character. And I think at the time there was no solution. Um, it just was what it was. And it's wonderful to have James Earl Jones and y you know, you kind of don't complain at all. 
this is the vital James Earl Jones is Darth Vader performance that we are getting in this episode. I have no doubt that it is assisted or primarily generated or you know whatever it is. I'm sure you had James Earl Jones in a booth for a basis or for reference or whatever. I also would assume that James Earl Jones is fully cognizant of financial remuneration and probably we're going to find out one of these years his family continues to enjoy and enjoy and enjoy uh you know payments from disney licensing the sound of his voice for the next 50 years or whatever it is i'm sure there's been nothing but kindness shown there but part of the power that we get from darth vader here is undoubtedly a performance that is assisted by technology and you know what pete let me repeat again we know mark hamill was aware of that and brought in on it i'm sure they've done the same thing with james earl jones the last thing they want is an elderly man to not understand the process by which words maybe he didn't say are now being generated on screen i'm sure it's cleared with his agent his people and his lawyer and all of that and there's a promise here that we get darth vader at his most vital for the foreseeable future uh we get it with all parties being happy about it and that's a that's a wonderful wonderful thing reva reports the probes are tracking all exits and that obi-wan will pay for the grand inquisitor but vader cuts her off telling her the grand inquisitor means nothing all that matters now is kenobi he also tells her he's been watching her and knows what she seeks, that if she proves herself, the position of Grand Inquisitor is hers. If she fails him, she will not live to regret it. And then as Vader is wont to do, he terminates the transmission and then goes to look out onto the lava fields. We cut to Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, who is telling Leia he's not in control of this trade route. No, we can't go any faster. No, we are not there yet. Um, control over such things is not how the Force works. Uh, but she asks, what does it feel like? Which, Pete, there must have been some early time in my Star Wars fandom where I, I wondered that. Or, you know, I, I've told the story before, seeing, you know, what was then just Star Wars for the first time on seeing it for the first time in home video and i went out back with my fisher price binoculars and i looked into this you know at the clouds which as luke is scanning the horizon and all of that and you know wow but in this moment watching this this past wednesday it's like wait what what does the force feel like and we get this lovely line here are you afraid you know how does it feel when you're in the dark and feeling afraid how does it feel when the light is turned on uh it's nice and it's just like oh we all know that feeling that's what the force feels like and to me it was just it was a new a new way to define this thing that i've known since my childhood this concept of safety here which in a conversation with a child who's impatient who's scared to frame it in such a way really effective not the greatest explanation of the force i still think that goes to Luke and Ray's conversation in The Last Jedi, but uh, probably one of the better ones here. Uh, he then hands her Lola, which he had been working on here. She thanks him for fixing her as they ready for approach to their destination. 
I'll just point out, Pete, in the episode in which Lola was damaged, I was saying, hey, it's like when a character kicks a dog, they are bad. When you break the mechanical dog, you are a baddie. So here, Obi-Wan is the anti-mechanical dog kicker in that he is fixing the mechanical dog. He's fixing the mechanical sidekick, which thereby, Pete, by the logic of basic drama, uh, reminds us he's a good guy. Uh-huh. The transport descends to a plateau where a bulky droid and an R5 unit oversee the unloading of cargo. Obi-Wan and Leia choose their moment and quickly sneak away. Stormtroopers oversee the loading of ore elsewhere as an Imperial flag waves. With a processing plant visible on the horizon, Obi-Wan explains to Leia Mapuzo is a mining system. His coordinates say their meeting point is further north if their new friend is telling the truth. Leia asks why he would lie, and Obi-Wan snaps at her that people are not all good. He tells her the planet wasn't always this way when there were fields and families. Leia thought the Empire was supposed to be helping them, and he tells her Some, like her father, Bail Organa, are trying to, but it seems like a losing battle these days. Obi-Wan then hallucinates about another loss as he sees a robed Anakin on a ridge before Leia snaps him out of it. And kudos to director Deborah Chow here, who nowadays when you film something you must at least in the back of your head be thinking will people be watching this on a 100 inch 4k tv will they be watching it on their phone at three or four o'clock in the morning um it's not look they don't cut to super close up of anakin so it is very clear that it is anakin don't get me wrong it's filmed in a way where you can see that if you're watching in something even approaching an appropriately sized screen and all of that but I like that it's not like cut to ultra close up because people can't be confused. It's if you are uh, if you are confused, so is Obi Wan. So it, it certainly works. Um, but Pete, enough time on Mapuzo here. We see Riva's angular ship uh, flying into a, a a tempest of a planet, landing on a railless landing area. Pete, is there no occupational safety <laughs> administration or something to put rails in the Empire? Not in the Empire, no. (laughs) Uh, I love that as she's walking through, there's this very dramatic, very evocative musical cousin to the the march, the Darth Vader march here, the the Empire march. It's it's just so... It's on the right edge of new and old. We, of course, see troopers stopping for her. Uh, She goes through uh, what I think is meant to be read as like a... The red, like, no, go. Like, you can't go here. She goes on through. We will find out that on the other side. Uh, it's where the other Inquisitors hang, including Pete, the angry, very angry fifth brother. And the fourth sister there in this Imperial Bond base underwater conference room. Reva tells them Obi-Wan is in one of the mining systems. They express doubt, but she traced the manifest and says they should send all their probes immediately. The fifth brother tells her she's not in charge and pulls her arms out from under her using the force. 
He adds that the Grand Inquisitor's seat isn't hers, but his as the next in line before he releases her. She then uh, slyly tells them she just spoke with Lord Vader. The fifth brother is incredulous. She adds that uh, Vader asked her to lead the hunt unless he, the fifth brother, feels she should follow his orders instead. Uh, She repeats her demand to send the probes. The fourth sister gets up and leaves, and the fifth brother tells her he will get what he deserves, and so will she. After they leave, Reva mutters, she certainly hopes so. And Matt, Moses Ingram absolutely controls this scene. Pete, if she's going to be Emmy-nominated for this series, which I think there's a decent chance, uh, let this scene be part of the Emmy clip here. You know, that... I won't even attempt to do a lousy version of her line. I will just repeat the line, send out the probe droids now. I mean, hitting every, you know, inflect and every bit of energy here and there. It's a masterclass in acting for that sentence alone, let alone her performance in this scene and the series thus far. It's just, it's just astonishing. The Uh, braids, Matt, the, the way they kind of stick out in the back it's reminiscent of Vader's helmet, the design there, like every aspect of the character first, you know, trying to curry favor with Vader, clearly her eyes on becoming this grand inquisitor to his whatever, just, just Lord Vader, uh, to, to the number two, to the emperor, trying to move up the pecking order and all this intrigue going on with the inquisitors. It's outstanding stuff in the bowels of the base. The probe droids are readied and then launched from the spire in different directions on Mapuzo. Obi-Wan reveals their reviews, their cover story with Leia that if anyone asks their farmers from tall and she doesn't talk, They've reached the spot where they were told to go, but there's nobody there. Leia suggests they're just late, and Obi-Wan angrily suggests that Haja Estri lied and immediately determines no one is coming. Indeed, Pete. And look, I understand all drama, let alone specifically Star Wars, is dependent on you know the particular story path that gets taken, and you could do a bunch of what-if, and it... it, it you know, the the really great stuff never happens. But oh man, if Obi Wan just sat down and said, "Let's wait ten minutes," would 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 help have come later on? You know, again, not a story complaint. It's just we, it, we, it, we're told later on it would have. Yeah. Uh, similarly, later on, hey, how about the three of you run through the sand tunnel all the way to the pilot? The end. Okay, you, you then avoid a whole bunch of really great dramatic stuff. But um, Pete, I suppose we all make choices in life like that, right? If only this, if only that. Um, but yeah, again, we have this, you know, somewhat pessimistic Obi-Wan, uh, where, you know, the, as soon as help is not there, it was a lie. We've been scammed. We're on our own. Um, it's Leia though, who says that, uh, they need some help. She flags down, uh, you know, uh, an old jalopy, um, 
just looking so kind of flatbed truck, but Star Wars there. Uh, Leia introduces herself as Luma. Uh, This is my friend. I mean, my father. uh, My father. Um, And then it's totally my father. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, We're farmers from Tall, and now we're lost. Uh, Obi Wan is is he's just happy to get some directions. Are we going here? Are we going there? You know. But Freck is so friendly. He says, "Hop on in." Uh, and as they Not do, before he notes that it's a weird story, which I think is just a great line there. And finding out at the end of the episode that this is voiced by Zach Braff makes it even better. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, as Obi Wan gets into the back of the the jalopy here, you know, don't mind my "Make Empire Greater" more banner in the back. Uh, it, it is, of course. Uh, if nothing else, Pete, it's a little foreshadowing for where Freck's loyalties really lie. Yes, pausing there ever so slightly as he hops into the back uh, really just adds to the the tension we're going to proceed with at this point. Once they're underway, Leia eats a snack and Freck asks them where they're from again. Good people out in tall, he says, who pay their way and, you know, they're good little Empire listeners. Leia says they love the Empire. And Freck says it's nice to meet like-minded folk. Nothing wrong with a little order, right? Uh, Well, Pete, that conversation gets paused because, look, there are some stormtroopers that need a ride, too. Dirty stormtroopers, Matt. Uh, indeed, out there working hard. We're going to find what the job was uh, shortly. Uh, he pulls over, hop on in. Um, Pete, this is, as they say, cat in a tree, and it's getting more cat in a tree, uh, particularly as the troopers who, you know, thank Freck. So there's, a, there's an easy familiarity there. Uh, they mention just in the course of conversation, they've been hither and yon, getting moved around because... They're looking for a Jedi and uh, always find them, always do, just a matter of time. Obi-Wan kind of covers up his self as he hears this and they get going again with those troopers in the back. He's asked if he's a miner, but he tells them he's a farmer from tall. When they ask what he's doing there, he says it's a long story, but Stormtrooper 2 says it's a long way to the port. Leia says uh, her father brought her there to see the place where he met her mother before before she. And then Obi-Wan says she's not with them anymore. It's been a very difficult time. Stormtroopers ask him if he has any info about a Jedi. He says he wouldn't know one if he saw one. Leia asks if they're sure the Jedi's even on the planet. Obi-Wan says they know what they're doing and slips by calling her Leia. Which, again, I mean, just ups the ups the tension here. Um and immediately the the stormtroopers pick up on it. Wasn't her name Luma? And there's there's this pause because of course we're saying, you know, lightsaber fight. I mean, okay, Leia, I don't... Luma, yeah, Oprah, Luma. <laughs> um, 
no Dave Letterman here. Uh, however, you know, I love you know, how no, that's not Dave Letterman underneath that stormtrooper helmet. It could be. God, they must have tied down that beard, but I digress. Um, love the dramatic pause. I mean, it's dramatic as Obi-Wan thinks of an answer. It's dramatic for we viewing it. And then he says, you know, just with, you know, we have Ewan McGregor acting as Kenobi, acting as farmer guy, who's acting like he's lost a wife. Um, just, you know, Leia was her, her mother's name. As I said, it's not been easy. I, I get confused sometimes. And we're, we're like, Orden. what's that? Poor old Orden. Indeed. And like with all of this subterfuge, we're like, oh, yeah, these lies are great. These lies are great. And then he looks at Leia uh, and says, you know, I look at Luma and I see her mother's face. Pete, because it's true. Like, there it is. The kernel of truth. At it. It's just just a wonderful it would have been fun enough for him to, oh, I thought of this great story, and look, now I'm tricking stormtroopers. Boom. It's true that when he looks in, uh, into Leia's face, he sees her mother's face, just as the, the fake play here of seeing Luma's face and the imaginary uh, mother. We all miss her very much. Uh, the stormtroopers tell them to keep their eyes open and to report anything they see before telling Freck they've reached their destination and getting off. Check out that T-16. Uh, Pete, the, the, look, the T-series, okay, they're, they're just beloved. New one comes out and old ones lose uh, lose value and so forth. But bottom line is troopers hopping off there. Um, and uh, Leia appears ready to, there's, there's a look on her face. She might be ready to burn Freck down with her stare. She might be ready to burn the stormtroopers down, maybe, maybe Kenobi. Um, but she does say that she knows Obi-Wan knew her mother, um, and, uh, she's known he's been hiding something. Is Obi-Wan Kenobi her real father? Uh, he says that he's not. She imagines what he was like, her father. Uh, there's a whole movie trilogy that can help with that. Um, and then Pete, this interesting nugget where you know okay her imagining about her father okay tying back to the prequels you know interesting but not surprising what is surprising is obi-wan saying that he knows what that feeling is like too jedi being taken from their families when they're young he has these images from his earliest childhood his mother's shawl his father's hands perhaps a brother too remembers this baby here he wishes he remembers more but then he joined the Jedi and got a new family like her. Just then they start to slow as they reach what Freck says is a standard inspection checkpoint. Obi-Wan asks if they can get off before they get there. But Freck tells them not to worry because it won't take long. And he knows these fellas. Freck gets out and tells the stormtroopers the quarry's running dry and they'll have to dig again before he tells one Hey, I found a couple strays. May want to check out out in the back. Uh, they thank Freck, and Obi-Wan pulls his hood up because no one has apparently ever seen a hooded Jedi. Um, as they come around the rear of the speeder, they ask where uh, Luma and Orden are headed, and they repeat the tall story and that they were visiting family, but they're told to step out, and the stormtroopers initiate Protocol 23. As they get out, a probe droid approaches. 
Obi-Wan shields Leia from its view. They tell him the stormtroopers do twice to raise his head, and the probe droid beeps red. We see it from its camera perspective as he blasts it and them. He uses Freck as a shield and blasts the trooper atop of the checkpoint, who falls and is cut in half by the laser gate before knocking Freck out. The last trooper has Leia, and Obi-Wan is told to put down the blaster, which he starts to, ah, ha, ah, it's the old trick, before blasting that trooper. Then they rush the gate, but he can't lower it, so he blasts that open, and an Imperial speeder pulls up in front of them and lowers a ramp for three stormtroopers and a female officer. So looks like curtains for our heroes. Uh, they, uh, Obi-Wan and Leia, are told to uh, you know get on the ground, hands uh, down, face down, all of that. Uh, we see the officer uh, preparing her blaster. Pew, pew, pew. All of a sudden, it's the troopers who are falling dead. Uh, and she tells Obi-Wan and Leia to get into the transport. Uh, help, Pete has arrived. Pete, back to the Inquisitors, where it's revealed that uh, Mapuzo has been identified as to where Obi-Wan is. Turns out that probe droid sent out a signal right before destruction, which actually lines up nicely with what we saw from the probe droid's perspective. Uh, Reva is going to go tell Lord Vader, uh-uh-uh, Fifth Brother has already told him uh, so no need to worry there. And uh, a little bit more tension between Reva and the fifth brother. We have the fourth sister very tersely telling some of the lower staff uh, to shut down all the ports. And Pete, also some story seeding for later. What is it that's so important about Mapuzo? This type two planet in the mid-rim, a ventrium strip operation. So important for later on. Um but as you mentioned, that tension there now, who's going to get to take credit, so on and so forth, uh, a big deal. Back on Mapuzo, the female officer says that Haja gave them the right coordinates and she was on her way when the probes arrived, but they'd already left. Patience, Matt. I, I've heard Jedi lecture about patience before. Maybe Obi-Wan should listen. <laughs> They hide in the street in an alleyway there, and the officer explains the Empire's gone to high alert, locked everything down. She can get them to the port, and there's a pilot who's agreed to take them, but he's not scheduled to leave for a few hours, so they need to lay low. She tells them to wait as Obi-Wan watches a Rogue One-style transport depart from a top the hill. The officer enters a building and Layla brings Lola out. Obi-Wan tells her it'll be okay, but she says she didn't mean to run away. She used to do it all the time just for fun. He tells her it wasn't her fault and she'll be home soon. I think a lesser script, a lesser production would not have taken the time to check back in with Leia as a child versus Leia as the precocious, you know, I mean, she's always child Leia, don't get me wrong, but she's so kind of intelligent and thinking on her feet and kind of so much like a mini adult 
in a wonderful and impressive way for so much of the story. I think it's really smart here to take 10 seconds to remind us she's also, you know, nine or 10 years old. She's also just a child. She's a child that's used to you run away and there's the fence of the fence or there's the fence of the guards coming to get you or whatever it is. Everything is always safe. And here it is an incredibly scary situation that she's in. Um, and again, I think the story of reiterating the child Leia really, really is a child as well. They head into a droid maintenance bay uh, where we're introduced to droid Ned B. Uh, he would say hello, Pete, but loaders aren't allowed to speak. Uh, one of these days, Star Wars might have to, uh, I don't know, do something about all the injustices towards droids. But uh, just a little sliver here of, you know, the lowest of the low class, not even being given any sort of language, not the bleeps and bloops of, uh, of an R2 or an R4 or anything like that. The officer here in a simple but effective piece of dialogue says that actions are louder than words and then brings them to a hidey hole. The further explanation that there are safe houses like this all throughout the galaxy. Some call it the path. Uh, he is not the first Jedi Obi-Wan is to be brought here. All of it leads to the planet of Jabim where they are given new IDs and gotten out to elsewhere in the galaxy. There's graffiti and Leia asks if it's all Jedi that have come through here. Uh, the officer tells us not all the empire hunts any who are force sensitive, even children like this one, <laughs> which, you know, all those years, Matt with, with Leia before we realize she's the daughter of Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker. And here, as we continue halfway through the series, the understanding fully now, she is force sensitive. She's probably using it. She doesn't realize she is one of the hunted on top of being a child, like the ones that uh, it's explained are fleeing this tyranny uh, what happened to them? Um, the, the children that are caught, nobody seems to know. No one ever sees them again, or they get turned into inquisitors. Uh, wait a minute, Matt Quinlan was here. Who's he? Ah, memories, Pete, memories of, of, of Clone Wars and some, some Star Wars novels and so forth. The larger Star Wars universe. If you have those memories, they're rewarded. If you don't, guess what? Ewan McGregor is an Emmy award-winning actor. Okay, the smile on his face, the, the look of recognition. Ah, Quinlan, yes. Again, it works both ways. It works where you go, I know that guy, I know that guy, all the way to Obi-Wan knows that guy. It, you know, it, it's a notion of maybe he is on the right path. Um, I don't think the story is tipping any sort of sense that the uh, as-of-yet-unnamed uh, rescuer here I don't think it in any way is suggesting this is going to be a double cross, but I think if nothing else, if you had that on your mind, oh wait, if Quinlan came through, if he's using quotes like only when your eyes are closed, can you see the way, you know, things like that. It's a, it's adding to the sense of safety. The character of Quinlan Voss, uh, both simultaneously a, a Jedi and a Han Solo S uh, rogue 
out there in the galaxy. So he's he's survived Order 66. He helps out now and again. So maybe he pops up. Maybe he doesn't. Not quite sure. Just then, Matt, knock, knock. Stormtroopers. Yes, just when you thought it was safe to go back in the safe house uh, or to stay in the safe house, uh, the troopers there at the door. After lots of prolonged uh, banging at the door, it is the adorable Ned B that opens uh, opens up the door for them. They start to take a look around. Uh, the one is questioning Ned, uh, takes the which adds to the tension. Ned has a hammer behind his back at the ready, adding to the tension. Uh, takes Stormtrooper number two to say, "Hey, don't forget that's one of those ones that doesn't talk." Uh, they're too dumb to really know things, including hide people. All right, we took a look around here. We're good to go. Uh, with that, Pete, the troopers move on. That Star Wars continues to find these spaces where they can inject new droids. First, Lola, which, Matt, I'll add, I pre-ordered my animatronic uh, edition of Lola. There's already different versions of it, but I can't wait till that comes in December, uh, and now Ned B, who's going to be in the next part of the the marketing and merchandise push, um, that these new droids get injected and you know service the story and bring the characterization, and neither of them talks in the traditional sense yet are still effective. We check in with the. Still, as of yet, a named woman, uh, Pete, when she does get named in uh, what I suppose is officially the next scene, it had actually crossed my mind, like, did it reach a point in the shooting process where they're like, crud, we never introduced her. All right, quick, let's do a pickup scene where she officially names herself, because it kind of strains credulity. Like, they're driving on into town. She doesn't say her name. They're in the safe house. She doesn't say her name. But I digress, Pete. Here's what she does say, because you know what? Actions are more important than names, I guess. Um, she's on the comm link saying to the pilot, Ron, uh, our way. I don't care if you're ready or not. Um, so, again, uh, service of the tension here. Uh, and indeed, uh, the woman is changing clothes. Quick change out of that, uh, out of that uh, uniform of the Empire. Uh, she tells Leia that all of this can be scary sometimes, but it's worth it to help people. Uh, Leia pauses and wants to know how to shoot. Uh, and the woman reflects on having made mistakes, joined up with the Empire, believed all of that, finally realized that the, the message was different from the actual outcome. Uh, and then, Pete, she introduces herself as Tala. And to think here, Matt, in this scene, so for Leia to see this woman wearing the uniform of the Empire, who earlier in this episode, she's under the impression, wait, they're helping us, right? Then to see stormtroopers uh, try to hurt Ben and then attempt to hurt her to need to be saved, now hiding out from them, and to have this woman be somebody she sees take off the uniform, arm herself, and inspire her to a future as a leader of a rebellion, of a resistance. Like, it all begins here. It's crazy. 
it works within the story and i think it's a lovely little arc that speaks to the real life implications of uh, of representation and being able to see oneself in in others and in heroic moves and so forth um I know this though, Pete. They're all set to take a a rocky route out because you kind of have the the entrance from the maintenance bay, then the entrance on the other side. Um, but all of a sudden, Obi Wan has a, he- a heavy breath. Uh, we realize it's not solely physical. He's feeling something, sensing something. Uh, looks out the window, beautifully designed window that has you know it's not quite little peepholes, but it's you know they kind of need to go up to it, put their faces up to it to peer on out. You know. You mentioned before, Pete, you know, the, the costuming and the, the, the hair design for Reva and all, you know, what we want is out of a show is the set designer is thinking about how to improve the story. Hair and makeup are thinking of how to impact the story, lighting and all of that. Um, and indeed, as as we, as he uh, look out the windows, uh, there's the Inquisitors, uh, Obi-Wan feels Darth Vader, we start to hear him and just amazing use of the camera work here so so tight in on the boots the gloves the cape the slow pan up to reveal hayden christensen's darth vader uh as if it is the shark from jaws and deborah chow knows how to shoot him with the camera the terrifyingly heavy burden of bringing darth vader to you know air quotes matt television for the first time, okay? Yeah, it's on our TVs, it's on our phones, it's on our laptops. Um, but to put this iconic character, perhaps the greatest villain of all time, on a smaller screen for the first time, we still have to feel that weight and not repeat what we've done before, but make it at the same time familiar and expected. And as you're explaining here, to to show him in bits and pieces rather than the whole thing. I like the shot even before where we just get the shadow on, on the back of the building. It's now nighttime outside. Um, it all moves us forward to the reveal from the bottom up of Lord Vader here hunting Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan's reaction the eyes wide of Ewan McGregor in the window of this safe house here, laying eyes on what he's become. First, the reveal in the last episode, wait, he's alive, what? And now what he's walking around as. As Vader makes his way down the street, uh, he force chokes a man, pulling him out of the window. So, you know, uh, I'm on first view, I'm completely you know, terrified and enthralled on second view. I'm saying, so is the bit above the window? Is that real? Cause obviously this is a guy on a rig or is it fake or like whatever it is, they're going to the trouble to pull the guy through the, you know, through, through the opening of the window with, you know, multiple uh, practical and digital means and all of that. When the sun comes out, Vader, then, uh, you know, force pushes him. Uh, did I see Pete Vader breaking the sun's neck? Yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't sure I saw that the first time. Um, it was only in the second view. It was like, oh, this is this is the rage of Vader. Oh, Star Wars as an institution has gotten the memo from Rogue One that we can up the terrifying factor. We can we can have a PG thirteen influence that sort of thing. 
Uh, inside the maintenance bay, Obi-Wan tells Tala to take Leia to Alderaan. He'll lead Vader away. Intercut is Vader grabbing uh, a woman, dragging her with the Force, which on a certain level is almost more sadistic than the killing by way of breaking of uh, you know breaking of the, the son's neck earlier uh we have children scared we have you know hiding people the the barrels and boxes force pushed away i mean pete this this does not feel like it is outdoing the things we've already seen while it simultaneously outdoes the things we've already seen the working in concert with them i mean the reaction shot of the inquisitors kind of gasping at Vader's power at the same time, oddly envious of it, sells all of that as well. And now Obi-Wan knows, all right, he's the target. You know, do I, do I jump right in to distract him or do I further lead him away from all these innocents on top of that? And then Reva, the first to, to try to, jump in and the fifth brother reminding her no no you were told not to engage we have to sweep the town and search for others here and you know just disregards from behind her eyes here moses ingram his direction no i'm gonna do what i'm gonna do because uh this might be the obi-wan kenobi show but it's my show too Elsewhere, Kenobi is on the run in a in a quarry opening in a quarry pit. Uh, Vader is there, incredibly menacing. This is, I believe, Pete, maybe with the exception of Rogue One, but this is, um, to my mind, the first time that we've seen Vader with a self lighting lightsaber prop. And you know what a difference that is. Where now, you know, it's obviously the the the, the shine of the not quite chrome, but you know the shine of the shine of his helmet, um, picking up the, you know, the, the, the ambient light, the red reflected off it. It's just, it's an even more scary version, but again, without feeling like it's, it's, you know, the, a special edition or without feeling like it's, you know, a fan film or that it's not entirely authentic to what we've already seen. There were people that were down on this duel, but again, it's within the characterization. Obi-Wan's just found out that Anakin is alive, that he is Darth Vader, that Darth Vader is so bent on vengeance. And as we'll see in a moment here, making Obi-Wan suffer, not killing him. Okay. Making him to experience what he's experienced, um, that Obi-Wan doesn't jump right in with the lightsaber and they have this super over-the-top choreographed duel, knowing the one they'll have on the Death Star. Um, so what does Obi-Wan do? You know, it's it's around this quarry here. It's trying to, to run, to hide, and then using his lightsaber more as illumination than as an offensive weapon indeed that's what he does i think the effect for we the camera is that we see that a self-lit obi-wan now can't see into the shadows uh which again i think is a novel use of the self-lighting lightsaber as a prop 
um, that here it's being leveraged in a in a low light environment, and he can't he can't see where Vader is. Um, and indeed, out of those shadows, out of that darkness, comes Darth Vader, um, underlit except for his chest light. You know, again, I'm impressed here that Deborah Chow has found a way to say, you know, okay, this, this it's an all character that's 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 uh, entirely dressed in black. So you need to pump up the light level to see the, all the particulars. And she says, no, we can turn the light levels down because people know the silhouette of Darth Vader. And if you have the iconic chest lights, that's all you need is the silhouette and the chest lights. Uh, and we get the dialogue here that Vader is what Obi-Wan made him. It's such a simple but eloquent and elegant piece of dialogue. It cuts immediately to the conflict between the two of them. You did this to me. You have encased me in this horrific suit existence. And everything that I, I am now is going to work in the service of doing this to you. We uh, quickly go back to town where we see a, a proper roundup is happening. Uh, Riva spots Ned B walking away from that maintenance uh, bay and goes in, perhaps intuiting a safe house, perhaps just you know following a uh, a curious thread here. We go back to Obi Wan, who's walking through uh, a sort of mining alley area. Then suddenly Vader is upon him. Uh, they they duel for a bit. Vader says that the years have made Obi Wan weak, which among other things I think is a nice reminder. Like don't expect. The Ewan McGregor of the prequels, the story has already laid track to say his powers have withered a bit in addition to just 10 years of age and, and so on and so forth. Um, it's a great line as delivered. It's a great line as for a story reminder. Being hacked at here and Ewan McGregor with the, the hair disheveled off balance, just, just trying to defend himself. We cut to the tunnels there where uh, Tala is looking behind and Leia, almost as if sensing what's going on, tells her to go, that she'll continue on herself while Riva is moving things around with the Force and getting closer to their trail. Tala tells Leia to keep running till she gets to the port, that a pilot will meet her there. Back to the Vader-Obi-Wan fight, uh, we see Obi-Wan's hair over his face suggesting a certain level of being dis disheveled, suggesting that he can't see. You know, again, certainly months and months before shooting this, somebody said, hey, you and grow out your hair, so it'll be, you know, we'll make it all handsome and you can kind of be, you know, somewhat guy on the run and so forth, um, for, for, which is to say, grow it out for style reasons. Here it's being repurposed for story reasons. Uh, Vader says that Obi-Wan should have killed him when he had the chance, which sounds weirdly familiar, Pete. But time to take a break in the fight. Obi-Wan slices at a hose and sprays smoke, which is enough story cover for him to run. Reva has now made her way into the safe house. She sees the Jedi insignia carved into the wood there and touches it. Must mean something to her matt if nothing else Pete, it's a reminder that uh, the rebellion is is ever growing and so forth um but she does 
after seeing this etching of the Rebel Alliance, uh, she finds her way into the escape tunnel. Again, Pete, I know for story purposes, time to get a move on, time for her to find this stuff out. If it was me, if I had had the safe house that was hidden, I would also hide in the safe house the button so it wasn't quite as obvious as, look, on the other side of the room, there's a blinky pushy. Push blinky pushy. Door open. It is what it is. Not a complaint, just an observation. Uh, back to Obi-Wan. There's, a, there's a, an opening, a clearing in the, the mining setting here. Obi-Wan is found by Vader and force choked, lifted up with the force. Obi-Wan drops his lightsaber. Uh, Vader then force pulls over some of that, some of that uh, ore. What's the ore, Pete? Ventrium. Ah, the vitrium, which if there's one thing we know about it, well, I have to admit, Pete, I didn't really know anything about it until what's about to happen. But with the ore spilled between them, he, he, Vader, you know, taps it with his lightsaber. All of a sudden it's on fire. Vader says, now you will suffer, Obi-Wan, pulling Obi-Wan to the fire, which is deliciously cruel and just a perfect story moment that uh, Vader now is using his environment to put Obi-Wan through the the, the, the torture that uh, Anakin Skywalker experienced. Dragging him closer to him, telling him his pain has just begun, so this will not be quick. He has no intention of just putting him out of his misery. Tala gets a view from atop of the quarry here, and as the stormtroopers uh, are nearby, uh, and Obi-Wan's screaming here the ventrium kind of flames out and his cloak is still smoldering uh vader orders the stormtroopers to bring him to him and tala shoots the first one down yes which is certainly enough uh enough <laughs> space for our hero to be saved here um uh, tala fires again uh and the the, the ore, etc. I think there's she shoots something uh, that then explodes, which leads to a, a line of fire uh, lit again. Uh, Vader and the stormtroopers on the one side, Obi-Wan on the other, through the flames, which again, this is shot in a way where it's like, we can believe that they can't go around it, that they can't shoot up and over it. Like, probably there's a logical hole there, but from what the camera lets us see, this is an impenetrable firewall that maybe we could kind of see through. We kind of see Ned B showing up, uh, pulling Obi-Wan away. And I love that Vader just watches with stillness. You know, it's the, it's the crocodile that's watching the, the deer come ever closer to the water's edge and just watching. And, you know, for as much as Vader is about rage, it's the pause of this didn't work. Time to have this fuel me to find a solution for next time. The, fire on the reflective lenses there the simmering rage beneath really really works uh he turns he's gonna find another way the inquisitors are still rounding up the town here uh that the fourth brother and the fourth sister um before we flip it back to the third sister in the tunnel so, Pete, certainly a, a note, a sense in the air amongst these Inquisitors that the plan is not unfolding as, as was intended. Uh, the message is given that, uh, that Kenobi has escaped. Uh, word for the Inquisitors to sweep the planet. Uh, and the fifth brother 
you know, not quite smashing fist against hand, but but verbally as such, as he thinks that they will just never find them. Tala has Obi-Wan and tells uh, Ned B they have to get him to Jabim. And then we see Leia in the tunnel here. She's almost to the pilot. And there's a voice telling her not to be afraid to come closer. Uh, but wait a minute, Matt, I recognize that voice. And I don't think that's the one she's supposed to meet. Uh, Pete, that's actor Moses Ingram, who plays Reva in this show. I think the look, the show does not go to any amazing lengths to to uh, mask her voice. Uh, she is putting on a sweet performance here as she lures the child in and so forth. Um, the camera work, you know, she's kind of obscured by the light behind her. Uh, the reveal that it's Reva, the longer shot showing the presumably dead pilot as Reva says that she will take things from here. Time to comb the desert for some clues. Pete, where shall we begin? The Grand Inquisitor referenced, but sits this one out. Dead, secretly having mod guts put in at a mod shop on Tatooine. What's going on? Well, obviously, loyalists of Star Wars Rebels know that uh, the Inquisitor presumably is going to be okay. I think it's safe to assume that the Inquisitor in that animated show is the same as the 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 recently incapacitated uh, Grand Inquisitor. If you have that knowledge, great. It actually works with the story where Vader says, if you do good, you'll be the Grand Inquisitor. If not, then you won't. You know, the fact that we say, mm, in X number of years for Rebels, uh, she's not the Grand Inquisitor. Um, that's a story clue that you can kind of be in on. Um, for the purposes, though, if you don't have that as a clue, he, you know, it's, it's like I said last week, it is as if he is dead. And we've had many a dead character come back. You know, if, if the question, though, is, Pete, does he come back in the next three episodes? I don't hate that as an idea. I think that could be a fun, you know you know, second half, things are getting worse for Reva, and oh, by the way, the Grand Inquisitor is still alive and he has a story to tell. Let's talk about Obi-Wan versus Ben Kenobi, Matt. A lot of listeners, well, no, I shouldn't say listeners, a lot of viewers, observers have criticized, well, Leia doesn't know Obi-Wan, uh, you know, you get to A New Hope, the original Star Wars. She sends the holographic message. Years ago, you served my father in the Clone Wars. Not, hey, old pal, remember that time we escaped from the big dude in the black suit and it was terrifying, but I got away. She doesn't know these two people are the same. She knows Ben Kenobi. It's very clear when Luke breaks into her cell and says, I'm here with Ben Kenobi. Ben Kenobi? You know, that guy that I went on that adventure with and he saved me? That beloved character? I know him. Take me out of here. Oh, my God. There's a white-haired gentleman fighting that scary dude that I already know that I've escaped from before that got cut down. Oh, wait a minute. Ben, Obi-Wan, the same? We don't need to see that conversation. But now, through the magic of this, we've put all that together. 
And I would say for anyone who's complaining, I mean, you can't accept, hey, why don't we put the Skywalker baby with the Skywalker family where Anakin Skywalker grew up? That's a great place to hide him because uh, we, the audience, but none of the characters know that uh, he doesn't like sand. Like, if you accept that as just a conceit of the story or some sort of, you know, way in which to get the prequels and the original trilogy to work together that maybe is not 100% elegant, but it is what it is. Like, if you're going to accept that, you then can't complain that, like, oh, there's not dialogue that contradicts the notion that Leia may have thought Ben Kenobi and Obi-Wan Kenobi were separate people. I mean, heck, Pete, it's the Star Wars future past. Like, Kenobi could be Smith, for all we know. You know what I mean? Like, there there comes a point where you kind of need to you need to say, what am I complaining about? And is, are there other are there other things that I don't complain about because I just like them? And therefore, if I'm complaining about this, it's because I don't like it versus it's a story weakness. So Mapuzo, and we heard it last week, we go there this week. Could it be possible, Matt, that Mapuzo, through the connection of um, Francis Ford Coppola, is an homage to the Godfather author Mario Puzo. You know, it's funny. I had the exact same thought. Uh, the fact that I have only in the last week started the supremely excellent uh, limited series on Paramount Plus, uh, The Offer, which is about the creation of the movie and all that. I had wondered if that was just, you know, I don't know, part of my own mental ecosphere. But um, mm -hmm. sure, George Coppola. Coppola Godfather, Godfather Puzo. Um I, I guess I guess we'll tell. Uh, Pete on Mapuzo, do they do they hide blasters uh in or around <laughs> toilets? Only time will tell. They're they're still pulling to you know the the cord, the handle there on the on the space toilets from above. Leia's optimism, you know, we're really laying the groundwork for Carrie Fisher's iconic Princess Leia. And it's being handled so well. I mean, uh, while we were discussing the possibility of an Emmy nomination for Moses Ingram, and while I think it's, it's always more difficult for a child actor to get recognized because it's like, they're an adorable child, or look, they can remember lines and act somewhat adultish. We kind of sit and go, that's what child actors do. What Vivian Lyra Blair is doing here with the character of Little Leia, uh, Leia um, it's astonishing. Um, I don't know if the Emmy folks will reward her with a nomination and so forth, but there's nuance here, which is well beyond this young lady's years. Um, and it is, you know, it is fully believable that this character you know, has been, and chronologically in terms of the story, will be played again by Carrie Fisher. It, it's, it, you know, these are both Leia's, and it's amazing that this young lady is able to, to evoke that. All the Inquisitor intrigue in this episode is one thing, but the line by uh, Reva that she certainly hopes so to use, we're coming off the optimistic explanation of Leia here there's still a glimmer in in Reva is there good in her she she touches that Jedi graffiti later on 
can she come back to the light? Well, a couple of story options here. First of all, is there a sympathetic backstory to be told? Absolutely. Your theory, Pete, and I think the, the, the popular theory uh, that she was a, uh, a Jedi youngling the night that Order 66 was given and all of that. Um, I think that's that's very plausible. I think, too, the notion that she wants to be the best darn Inquisitor there is, but the other cooler Inquisitors are like, you'll never be cool like us, um, is meant to lend some sympathy in an otherwise... Green dude and tentacle lady being cooler than Reva? I don't know about that. Well, Pete, it, it, it depends mainly on your point of view. And from the point of view of the Inquisitors they're they're more than happy to you know to push her down uh and, and all of that um i would add to this discussion one of my one of my favorite story tools how much time is left with three episodes to go you know next week or the following week is a good time to start to get underway with that if she still is um just this you know impenetrable villainous presence by the time we're, you know, 10 minutes to go in part five and knowing that there's a, you know, there's but part six left, then maybe it's time to lay those theories aside. But with half of the series yet to go, with half the story yet to go, plenty of possibility there for us to feel sympathetic. Heck, for her to even get some sort of hero's end when she stands up in defense of uh, Leia or Obi-Wan or something like that. Padme's presence still looming over this. Um the concept that when Obi-Wan looks at her, he sees her mother. Um, wait, did you know her? Oh, no, that was just part of the story. And then Leia knowing she's adopted. All of that wonderful character stuff that's delivered in not, not a ton of time, but also not delivered in a rushed way. And, you know, Pete, it made me think I, I uh, grew up with someone who lived on my street who was in the same grade as me, uh, who had been adopted. And the notion that that she had of wanting to find out more about her past and so forth, despite from my perspective, you know, a, a, a stable parents at home, adoptive parents, stable parents and, you know, nice street and, you know, school's fine and all of that it's something that has stuck with me, um, and, you know, an experience that's outside of my own. And I think here I would suspect again, not being any great expert on, on, uh, what it's like to, to have been adopted or to adopt. But I think that it's, I suspect it's authentic to the adoptive experience. Fine. Uh, bail and mom have been honest with her. And from that, we see in this episode, a certain want that she has. Another point of, kinship between her and Obi-Wan that he talks about his parents that he may have had a, a brother I mean Matt we know he had another brother uh, in her father um, you know that whole aspect there really connecting the two of them we spoke in the podcast about the first two episodes, how our expectations were deliciously subverted in terms of, you know, it's not Obi-Wan stands in the desert and shoes away Tusken Raiders as Luke plays out back, that sort of thing. Uh, similarly, 
given that we know how this story ends, like, oh man, I don't think Vader's going to cut down Kenobi in the quarry because they have a fight in 10 years. Like, there's, again, still so much where we know how it ends. Uh, that addition of Obi-Wan maybe remembers a brother, you know, I mean, it's as definite as such a memory can be. Oh my goodness, I didn't know that there was room for Obi-Wan Kenobi backstory prior to phantom menace or prior to some sort of thought of oh one day he was plucked up and joined the jedi academy and all of that um i don't know what to make of it other than you know good old Chekhov's gun they didn't need to mention it so now the notion that there's a kenobi brother out there i i almost dare not touch the flame that you're proposing the flame of could he be biological brothers with anakin um I don't know where my thoughts. I uh, on the one hand, I feel like that seems a little cheesy. On the flip side, it's Star Wars. It's a very close. Oh, I'm not proposing that in the least. I, I, I have to admit, Pete, I thought that that's what you were. I thought that's no, what you were floating no, out no. there. Okay. When, when Obi Wan tells him, "You were my brother. I loved you." The, the whole idea there of the found family. No, no, no. Never proposed that the two are related. Uh, Pete. If, if nothing else, if they could explain, uh, you know, Master Sifo-Dyas here, maybe that's what it could tie to. Because I still have questions from, from way <laughs> back when. I don't think when. he's the brother either. Ah, oh, rats. But, but I, bottom line being, I like that they have introduced uncertainty again. You know, it's, okay, fine. It's actually a Leia story. Great. The first episode spells that out. And now we understand it and so forth. Now we have new uncertainty when I thought it was going to be like, okay, twists and turns with Leia and ultimately she gets back and he goes back to watching Luke. Like now there's more question marks and that's wonderful. Quinlan Voss, the, the Jedi turned smuggler here, name checked. And this path, Matt, this underground, uh, you know, railroad for Jedi, he's Harriet Tubman potentially. And you know what? That's super evocative. That's super inspiring. Um, I think that uh, clearly the intent of a you know real world historical echo that that's part of what it's built on. I think too that notion is so so very Star Wars in that you know from George's inception we're picking up on these repeated things that we as humanity keep wrestling with. Um, Though in this country, obviously, the Underground Railroad is the biggest example of, you know, such a such a series of escape routes to freedom. Um, that's a tale, too, of people trying to get out and trying to escape and being helped by sympathetic people along the way. Um, so it's I'm, I'm not I don't want to use the phrase Star Wars is having its cake and eating it, too. It's just they're saying something that's authentic within the story. They're mirroring something from the real world, and they're also commenting on the the positives and negatives of our shared human existence. Indira Varma's uh, Tala says they still need to get Obi-Wan to Jabim. He's injured here, Matt. If only they've set up a situation where he might reflect on the past and, oh, wait, we got Hayden Christensen here. Maybe we could see a little bit more of him in some flashbacks. I was a little dubious against that when you shared it as a theory in some of our, our uh, preview episodes. Um, obviously, we get the little the littlest taste here. Um, I'm I'm on board. I'm on board. Definitely. I think it'll be. Int I still think there there are story 
reasons, the story might not go there. And if we sit and go for the next three episodes, they never did go to a place where it could be a dream or this or that. Um, I think that'll be okay. But I think, I think as well, if nothing else, wouldn't it be great if Hayden Christensen could just have a day on set where like he sits in the makeup chair and somebody tussles his hair and then puts on basic foundation on his face so he photographs well and then says, all right, get on out of there, as opposed to the the burn scars, as opposed to the 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 all this the the helmet and the structure and the padding that is a Darth Vader suit. Let's give him one easy day on set. Time to dig out the communicator. Here's what we've heard from others. Pete, starting with our Twitter poll, uh, in which we had nothing but praise for every quarter of this episode. Uh, the first choice in praise of the music got 1.9%. In praise of the VFX got 5.7%. In praise of Hayden Christensen got 15.1%. And in praise of Moses Ingram got 77.4%. Replies from Twitter here. James is sagacious. Big killing on Twitter. Amazing visuals. Uh, great story. The Inquisitor Tower. Vader's Tower. The lightsabers glowing. All just looked amazing. Uh, seriously, Freck. Uh, Freck with the PH. Played by Zach Braff. The acting is amazing. Yes, even the acting by Amazing Moses. Obi-Wan looks like all of us after 30 months of COVID. It could be rough out there. Andre Yeager, Dr. Polo, 1983, says, When did Darth Vader turn into Michael Myers? He never ran, but always found a way uh, to turn up in front of Ben. I still love little Leia. Hard to believe we're halfway through the series already. Keep it coming. From Jackie Wolf, that's at Jackie Wolf on Twitter, You should have killed me when you had the chance. Broke my heart into pieces. Why did Darth Vader cause night to fall when he appeared in the settlement? It sure seemed that way. I have to admit, Pete, I that's not how I had read the change in lighting. I just thought it was time passing by. However, if they did. Yes, it with a... but uh, non-canonically, of course, he's that powerful. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, next, we hear from Strange New Tweets. That's K-C-L-Y-L-E-1 on Twitter. Just watched all three episodes. Not the story I expected, but really enjoying it. Great effects and performances. And Little Leia is fantastic already more vader than i thought we would see i tried to avoid all spoilers and trailers and i'm uh, glad i did always good to see indira varma uh next we hear from noel gardner at noel camille this episode was great little leia is on an adventure that will mold her into the person we know i didn't think we would see vader so soon and i loved every second of it i can't believe it's half over obi-wan is really uh being dragged through the fire uh, how will this turn out? Pete, on this notion that we are halfway through, yes, totally agree. Six parts. We've done three. That is half. Do you think Do you think in this second half, perhaps particularly with the, the end of it, uh, you know, part six, do you think we're going to have some like, oh, my goodness, this is a whopper giant, you know, 70-minute episode or something like that? I don't think we're going to get an outrageous runtime. They've been on average in the mid to high 40s, so I would imagine we'll continue that pace. Next, we hear from Darren Bell, Darth Rasslin, 79. Good episode, although I didn't think the Vader-Obi-Wan fight was as good as I'd hoped. Hopefully, they'll meet again. Is it common knowledge that Obi-Wan had a brother? And will this have any impact on the remaining episodes? So, Pete, the first part, no? 
right? It was news that Obi-Wan might have a brother, right? I vaguely remember, like, this is Your mother's showing your father's hands? (laughs) This is going back to, like, childhood. The discussion, it may have even been somehow connected to Owen. Were they related? Um but I don't believe there's been anything official. Uh, and certainly the notion that, uh, that uh, it could have an impact on the remaining episodes. I stand by the notion that they didn't need to mention it. Um, so I feel like therefore it has to have some kind of impact. Now, whether that's impact on the, let me say this impact on the remaining episodes. Eh, maybe, at some point, this is going to come up again, right? Even if well, it's how about in... that he mentions it to Leia and she has a brother she doesn't know about? Yeah, and yeah. he's watching that brother. Like, yeah, it's it's just story within story. Layers, onions, and so forth. Uh, next up, Spider Ham Lincoln Tess LC one three nine. Let's just get this out of the way. The third episode was great. OWK could be one of the longest. Uh, could be one long movie when it's all said and done. Pete, let me pause his words there. It did cross my mind. I would love, I guess for any of these series, but particularly this where it's like, it's not even episodes, it's parts. It would be great if there's like the play all function and you just skip the credits at the end and go, you know, dramatic end of the ne- of the first episode, boom, into the next episode. That would be a cool feature, which I feel like, I feel like Disney Plus may have done that before. But anyhow, that would be a cool feature when this is all said and done. Yeah, I'd be down for it. Uh, back to Spider-Ham Lincoln. Now, what if the Organas had decided they wanted a son and took baby Luke while Leia was raised on the Lars homestead? Think of the possibilities. There ought to be an animated Star Wars Infinities series that can dazzle us with alternate stories, much like the limited uh, comic series of the same name. Uh, by the way, I was thinking of this before I saw Noel Camille's tweet uh, earlier today. So, Pete, great minds thinking alike. Uh, we hear also from Kevin Grogu's Brosif. That's at Loves Wars on Twitter. L U V S. I applaud you for putting in praise of Moses Ingram as one of our choices on the poll. In discussion with my coworkers, we all agree 100% that she is doing an incredibly great job portraying this role. Uh, yeah, uh, Pete. There was no discussion off mic between you and I. Voice, uh, text, whatever. There was no praise in shying away from defense and solidarity and and uh welcoming uh you know a welcoming spirit to moses ingram etc so anywho john calabrese wm lawman on twitter says i was skeptical of obi-wan and vader meeting before the duel on the death star but this episode made me a total convert we can really see the depths of obi-wan's despair and shock at seeing anakin as vader it really sets up how by the time of the last duel he's processed all of that. Uh, we hear from Anne Coltonham, that's uh, AMC on Twitter, or actually, I guess it's Anne Coltonham is her at name. Anywho, loving Obi Wan. The first three episodes have been fabulous. How lucky we are that the Star Wars universe uh, has been expanded with this new content and a chance for a new generation to become fans. Looking forward to listening to the podcast. P.S. How fantastic is Leia? I think the answer is very. Uh, lastly, Pete, we hear from Ian Silverman. That's uh, Sylvie underscore 79. Didn't love this episode as much as the first two, to be honest. What have you become? I am what you have made me. We're outstanding lines of dialogue to kick off the Vader-Obi-Wan showdown. But for whatever reason, their encounter just didn't 
quite feel earned kind of came out of nowhere at least within the confines of this show obviously vader's been obsessing about it for 10 years and then suddenly there's lots of fire and the whole fight just ends uh, ends just as abruptly hoping that's just uh round one they do face off again before the series is over have to say though that vader uh was at end of rogue one levels of gratuitous brutality with the arbitrary force choking and force neck snapping uh vomit emoji skull emoji uh ewan still does a great job of portraying obi-wan as despairing broken defeated little leia continues to be awesome i'm really enjoying their banter and the moment of when i look at her i can see her mother's face hit just the right emotional notes can't wait for next week who's quinlan wonderful meet him before the series is over uh pete your thoughts i know we had obviously discussed quinlan's background do we meet quinlan uh this month on star wars tv you had asked me if uh ice cube's son o'shea jackson jr was gonna play quinlan boss that's not what i've heard um I, i don't know uh it's certainly a possibility um but if i was a betting person i'd say he's not what uh feedback do you have on your end on the Fantastic Geek Facebook page, Matt, Steve Adams writes in, First of all, I do not understand how any self-proclaimed Star Wars fan could give last week's episode one star. That justifies logic. This week's episode was not quite as great as last week's, but still very good. The writers are treading on very shaky ground, trying to see how close they can get Leia to Vader without blowing the entire original trilogy away. The fight between Ben and Vader was good, if a little unsatisfying. I feel round two coming in the future, but halfway home, and I am still excited for what is next. Until then, stay fantastic. And he spelled it with a PH. Uh, Pete, I hope that the writers don't do anything like put vader and leia face to face as he points a finger in her face and she snaps back at him about it being a diplomatic mission and so forth (laughs) because george would never do that no never ever happen matt to apple podcasts where we have a pair of reviews left for us uh the first comes to us courtesy of um Disappointed in Bootent, uh, it reads, Fantastic Geek does it again, five stars, and goes on to say, Matt and Pete give great podcast as they add Disney Plus's Obi-Wan Kenobi to their vast library of podcasting Star Wars, Star Trek, and Marvel movies and TV. Give them one listen and you're hooked. Now that's what I call podcasting. <laughs> uh I I love the Phantom Menace reference there. Uh, that's the, that's a new a new badge of pride that I will wear uh, on on my on my vest. Okay, the other uh, review left here by our pal Coach Pritch. The headline here: the official unofficial keeping it fantastic with the PH, and it reads: My Jersey Shore guys have done it again. They continue to find time to geek out and podcast about another series and keep us up to date. Love the behind the scenes takes and theories along with the banter on the socials. And you have another <clears throat> quality podcast to listen to and ruminate about the fate of 
Kenobi! All caps with the exclamation points at the end. The kind words certainly appreciated. And, uh, you know, Pete, every week I watch, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi hoping he's going to make it to the end of the series. So fingers crossed there. (laughs) That's a little sarcasm there. Pete, to the email inbox we go, hearing from Lauren, who says, Hi, guys. Been enjoying your podcasts. I'm enjoying the Obi-Wan series so far. The kid playing Leia has been uh, the highlight, in my opinion. And I'm finding it fun to explore Ben's character and storyline more. I will say it was a bit disappointing that the majority of Darth Vader's dialogue in this last episode felt cut and pasted from other Star Wars movies. Reva is a character that has a lot of potential, and the actress is amazing. I just hope they eventually develop her character more fully, giving her some dimensionality, instead of having uh, her just be a rage monster all the time. The thought occurred to me that she might be Mace Windu's daughter. There isn't much of an indication that he had kids, but it's a theory that seems at least plausible and could explain her connection with Obi-Wan and perhaps why she has a vendetta against him. Thanks for putting out consistently great podcasts. May the Force, with a PH, be with you. Pete, that from Lauren. I've never heard the Mace Windu theory. It's interesting. I know there's more Mace Windu stuff being theorized with Mandalorian. I know he hit up uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. Hey, would you, you know, bring me back? That kind of thing. Um, We'll see. I mean, I'd love for Sam L. Jackson to come back, but I wouldn't want it to be a forced cameo. If you're going to bring him back, you bring him back proper. Um, But I, I do like the potential idea with Reba. Um, Would his child have been a Jedi in the temple? Would he have left her to go take out um, Chancellor Palpatine? I could see it. I just don't know that we could do it. Well, Pete, let me ask you this, and you're certainly the the greater expert here. Um, if all Jedi, with the exception of Anakin Skywalker, are plucked, you know, as the smallest of children and taught to avoid, you know, personal entanglements, etc., except for Anakin Skywalker. Um, would not that may I mean does one get to take a take a time out from the Jedi order and have personal entanglements that may result in a child um because I guess that's my initial thought but I don't want to be leaning on like to think Kenan that Obi-Wan says, not Obi-Wan that Anakin would have been the only one where this ever happened I mean Obi-Wan has said that you know if Satine had said the word he would have left the order Okay, so it's it's clearly a thing, and I fully expect it's going to be explored beyond Anakin at some point in these stories. Um, but I, I just don't think this is the point. I, I do like the theory, though. With that, Pete, let us hear from the Grand Admiral himself, Admiral Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Obi-Wan Kenobi Season 1, Episode 1, 2, and 3. Of course, I was too late last week for giving my feedback because the short time between the air date and your deadline for the podcast. Really great series. 
I gave the first three episodes, all three, a nine on IMDb. I find it so good. It's really in the atmosphere of The Mandalorian and Boba Fett, but still different and very much connecting to the old Star Wars films. Not only story-wise, but somehow also in the atmosphere. These stories are so much connecting to what we know and and extend these stories, which I think is very, very nice. I have no specific feedback on this episode. Well, of course I do have it, but I just wanted to give this general opinion about this series, which I'm surely going to enjoy further. Perhaps next time a little more detailed feedback. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, sometimes Fred can be an exacting admiral here. Nothing but praise for the start, the first half of this uh, this limited series offering there. Uh, so that's high praise indeed, in, in my opinion. And uh, I think we would all agree there's a lot to like about these first three episodes. And I don't think there's particularly an area where people say, you know, I thought we were going to get more time with the, I mean, obviously there was the twist. We're not on Tatooine the whole time, but beyond that, like, I don't think people are like, what do you mean? There's no droids. Okay. There's, what do you mean? There's no lightsaber. What do you like? It's kind of delivering what we want just with a brand new story. It's all been star Wars. And it's amazing to think we're halfway there so quickly. Now it teases out over the final three weeks here. And it's already felt so long. <laughs> since the third episode like make it wednesday already let's not forget two parts five and six uh have uh at least partial script credit to uh the oscar winning andrew stanton so we'll see what that looks like in terms of like ooh, production caught in the mud a little bit can you come over from pixar and help us out and I, I don't know pete the pixar star wars disney mashup is you know but 10 days away and whatnot so uh, time will tell with all of this. Time, Matt, to thank our patrons to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. Indeed, Pete, we are so proud to continue to be listener-supported, particularly as we, we hit these uh, heavy bandwidth and storage times and all that technical stuff that goes on behind the scenes. So big thanks to those who go to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek for helping us in our intergalactic journey. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels to contribute at, but it takes just a dollar a month to get you behind that door. Can't contribute this month. Get over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating for this podcast for any of our 30 podcast feeds. Helps us out immeasurably. Pete, let's keep the conversation going. I think we have a secure comm link. I don't think... You know, any of the Inquisitors listening in. So how can people be in touch with you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,524 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. For those listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we are back for Star Trek Sunday tomorrow, talking Strange New Worlds Episode 105, which 
weirdly, Pete, the middle of both seasons happening on the same weekend week that's weird too that's weird synergy um but we'll have that conversation tomorrow if you're here just for kenobi uh well guess what you're also going to be missing out on our ms marvel conversation so just to review here pete we got star trek sunday on sunday looping all the way back around to uh marvel friday for ms marvel on this upcoming friday the 10th and then back to talk kenobi next saturday uh kenobi episode uh pardon me part four With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. I am what you made me.